Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Front Page Dub. My name is Cody Ojeda, your usual host. We're doing things a bit differently today. Unfortunately, my usual co-host, Matt Olson, is unavailable at the last minute. But coincidentally, we do have our first guest on the show, actually. So uh, former Melbourne City, Newcastle Jets and former one-time Matilda, Riley Dobson, will be joining us today. Riley, how are you doing today? I'm good, Cody. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Um, like I said, one time Matilda, Newcastle Jets former player, Melbourne City former player, recently turned pundit and quite a start to the pundit career as well. Um, definitely a lot of talk about some of your comments, which we will be getting into <laughs> later in the show. But just a quick word on that. How have you found kind of that transition going from footballer to pundit? How's that been? For me personally, it's been really, it's been very easy it's just kind of just walking straight into it because I what you what you hear as me as a pundit is what you that's me every day so there's literally limited filter going on there as um some people probably have realized I guess you could say the hard way I don't think it's a hard way I think hard truths are what the game needs at the end of the day um we'll get straight into the A-League women's uh, big news coming around at the moment Canberra United who have just kind of worked their way back into top four contention dealt a bit of a blow some may say unfair some may say it's very much on them but um their historic win as well over Sydney FC their first time they've beaten them in almost five years from memory has now been sorry it's been a long time been a long time yeah and all for that just for it to be overturned it's a three to win for Sydney FC because of an illegal substitution in the 93rd minute of a 94th a 94 minute game um, just a quick word on that. Obviously, look, there's definitely been a lot of contention between whether Canberra should have picked up that mistake themselves, they should be keeping track of their subs, or if the fourth official has given them some false hope that they actually did have an extra sub that they could make. I know the concussion rule was brought up, but even looking back in that game, the only injury that occurred during the match, from memory at least, was Haley Tally Young's leg injury in the first half. Oh, look, it's it's a questionable situation. Realistically, there is overall almost 100% ownership on the club to be able to monitor their own substitutions. Um, and all that typically does come back on them. Um, however, what is the point of us having a fourth official if they're not actually going to advise clubs when they've used all their substitutions? Um, and, you know, whether whether there was a concussion that we didn't know about, because a lot does happen on the sidelines that we're not aware of, um, including concussions or mild ones um, these days, or whether there's an assessment going on. So from what I've read um, and my own little investigations in the background, they have been advised by the fourth official that they could make the substitution. If that is the case, and we know Canberra is going to appeal it, um, we're obviously going to have to have further investigations by the APL. It's a shame as well because that's what's going to take a lot. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't take another three weeks, but it's going to take another extended period to resolve. Next week, they play against Melbourne Victory. That's meant to be a very, very big clash in terms of the top four race now that's going to play out, but they've got to play that match without actually knowing where they stand because they could either be their own equal points, they win that match, they go ahead, they or they're three points behind, they win that match, the goal difference still comes into play. It does take, as much as there is still a top four race going on, it does take a bit of sting in that match, and it's why this situation does really suck. And no matter which way you look at it, someone's made a very, very big stuff up. And uh, it's not it's a good hard. look for the league. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's hard. I think if you're Nagosh going into these games, particularly the victory um, game next weekend, you would take it that you're still in finals contention, particularly if there is a review going on, because the APO will need to resolve it quite quickly and you'd hope that they would get it resolved within a week. Um, it's not like there's significant um, discussions that really need to be had, but then if they are, if it still stands, the 3-0 the win that they've awarded to Sydney FC, it brings into question, okay, well, Heyman scored in that game. So are, we going to, are they going to deduct that goal from Heyman, who's also running for golden boot at the moment? That's actually um, the weird thing because from what they said, all the goals scored in that game will still be eligible for goal of the month. They'll still be eligible for the golden boot. Which doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Render, if you're going to render a game uh, null and void, and, a, and provide a 3-0 win to the opposition, well, how can those goals still stand? That's what I don't understand. It very much contradicts itself. And, I mean, the APL, while they have fantastic moments, this is not one of their best. Um, so, look, it's it's quite questionable what they're going to do on that front. Um, and I can tell you what, if it does come back on the fourth official, then it's going to have to go back to the referee board and they're going to have to have a massive discussion there. It shouldn't be hard to keep track of substitutions. No, oh, of course. It's, like I said, someone screwed up. And if there's fourth official, look, we do talk a fair bit about officials just in general punditry, which yeah. no one ever wants to have those conversations. You want to be able to respect them. You don't want the main conversation around a game to be around a referee's decision. And in this case, a fourth official's decision, because... They're essentially just there to monitor the benches, make sure everything's all right, make sure everyone's following the rules. It's it's kind of sad that that hasn't happened in this case. But look, there are a winner to this situation, and that is Sydney FC. <laughs> well, it helps <laughs> for you know the race for the premiership. It was three points that they're they're going to benefit from, and the fact that they then went and won against Western United quite comfortably on the weekend, it puts them in almost you know that solid state of the premiership. Only only they can lose it for themselves now. Well, this result, if I remember correctly, it actually puts them equal with Western United and ahead on goal difference. So massive, massive boost for them, which they probably still would have had to look. They were probably in the driver's seat for the Premiers due to their games in hand. But yeah, well, it's, it's, it's still a massive boost and yeah. they're definitely not complaining. And I do remember when this first, when this Naturals first play, when it finished, I did see commentary around some Sydney FC fans saying, oh, I do hope that last substitution is investigated. So it was, I guess, something that was kind of brewing in the background for a little while. Um, but it took a while for the decision to come about. It, it definitely did. And I think that's the part that's probably the worst aspect of all of this because the fact that this match was played three weeks ago, it shouldn't take that long to make an investigation, which is why I'm saying I hope it doesn't take that period of time <laughs> again. So, but, um, yeah, look, there was, look, I guess the fact of the matter is Canberra have made a substitution that they shouldn't have. What kind of punishment they face, I guess, can be debatable. Obviously, the fact that they're losing points of this when other clubs, maybe not necessarily the women's, have done a lot worse and escaped. I was about to say the victory with the suspended uh, three points as well. So Exactly, and the fact that they can play that match and win points from that match after what happens. So a little bit of inconsistency um, definitely sucks. But look, it's, 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 a, it's a poor situation. It's not something that hopefully we'll see ever again. It's not something that I don't think I've ever seen in football. I don't know. Have you ever heard of something like this happening? Um, I have in local local competitions, but not at that level because you expect a level of professionalism. And look, everything's susceptible at various points in time. Um, and there's a first for everything. But it, as far as I'm aware, I haven't 
I don't recall it's happened in um, the APLW before. It's honestly nuts. I've heard of people playing suspended players by accident because there was like yep. a fifth yellow card in a competition last year. It was a cup competition and they'd play the next season. They were even moved clubs, so the club wasn't able to keep track of it. But um, substitutions, that's something that honestly... It, <laughs> you'd, think, you'd think people would be able to keep control of it. But look, no disrespect to Canberra. It is an unfortunate situation, especially if they were told that they could make the subs because we're saying you should be able to keep track of it. But if they've been given advice from a fourth official, that completely changes the story. And it, if they're losing points from a fourth official mistake, that's also not fair on the club. And you mentioned Michelle Heyman before because you obviously said that goal probably shouldn't stand if in the Golden Boot race. It would also be a discredit to her if she yeah. doesn't win the Golden Boot considering how she's playing. Um, A little bit of a word on her. She's meant to be retired from international football. She is currently playing out of her skin. If you're in Tony Gustafsson's position, Tony Gustafsson's position, sorry, I think I mixed up my words a bit there. That's okay. You, <laughs> if you're in Tony's position, are you at least keeping an eye on her just in case she might change her mind? Well, look, you, you would hope that he is open to having a discussion with her because the players we want in our national setup are players who are performing. You want players who are performing in their positions, players who are having regular game time. And look, can you say, look, she plays a top nine, like a central nine. Can we say that she's better than Sam Kerr at this point in time? Well, if you base it on the competitions, if if we're very realistic about it, no. However, do we have anyone else that can play a true nine other than Sam Kerr? And Look, if Tony was smart, he would have the conversation with her to see whether it's something that she would look into, whether it's an environment she wants to go back into now that she's in clearly a state of really enjoying her football Um, and even from just, you know, a leadership perspective. Um, But then that obviously we're going to open up, a you know, can of worms here having a discussion around players in national teams. Uh, But I think that she should be considered in terms of, of having those those talks around, is this something that you want to come back to? I mean, look at Ivy Lewick. Tony called her, like, pretty much begged her to come out of retirement because he needed her for, you know, for the Asia Cup. Um, so, you know, it is a potential there to happen. And, look, if you're the same thing with Ivy Lewick, I think we were kind of short-handed in terms of centre-backs, especially just someone sitting as a backup to Pockinghorn and Kennedy. Like you said, we don't have another out-and-out number nine, I guess. Some players like Ford and Fowler can kind of fit the, fill those positions if needed. But in terms of having that out-and-out number nine that can play as a backup to Sam Kerr, we, we struggle in that regard, I think. It's it's not a discredit to a lot of players that are playing the other women's. I know Crum has been given her opportunity in the Matilda setup recently, but and this conversation we've actually had on a recent episode, whether we'd be calling up Heyman or Crummer. Um, if I had to pick between the two right now, I know Crummer probably has more potential to be a player definitely for the future. And Tony's gone on about building a legacy with his team. It's not just about this tournament in particular. But how often does the Matildas get to play a World Cup on home soil? So if I'm looking at it that way, I want this one tournament to be as good as what it can be. And to do that, you've got to call out your best 23. And if Heyman's in that, I'd be doing everything I can to get her out of retirement. Well, that, and you want players who are in form and who are performing. So if we look at, you know, if you compare the two, you know which one you're going to pick based on the number of goals scored, the the assists even. And, I mean, 
yes, okay, Heyman is, you know, she's scoring the goals as a typical striker. She's there to finish, but she's also creating and scoring some absolute crackers. Like you look at her hat trick on the weekend. She scored a diving diving header. She's there, you know, left foot, right foot. So she's showing her versatility in that front. Some say headings are dying up, but the way she took that second goal, that was absolutely beautiful. We, We don't teach kids from a young age how to head the ball anymore, and it's to our detriment. Um, you know, you watch the, the A-League women now and there's so many girls who just don't know how to head a ball or they shy away from it. And that's something that um, us from the older generation, you know, you basically got a lashing if you turtled a ball in any shape or form. I still do it now. Like if I see any of my friends turtle a ball on a soccer field, I'm like, or football field, sorry, I still call it soccer sometimes. I'm like, what are you doing? You've been brought up better than this. So you know, if you're if you're taught the right ways from an early age, you you actually find there's a reduce of concussions, and that's what we're seeing now is the influx of concussions come from one not being uh, trained at a young age, and two they're not doing any of the strengthening that is required to head a ball, and it's not just holding yourself there and letting it hit you. You attack the ball. One hundred percent. And look, honestly, that discourse around um how we train kids to head a ball from a young age it's probably something that we should be having in the future something that we should be having in general so we might leave that for another day because we do have a lot more to talk about in the <laughs> A-League women's cool. space um look I'm not, I'm not sure how familiar you are with this out uh, with our show as well but me and matt do have a ten- uh, tendency to go off on tangents very very often oh. so it's i feel new. like i could look you'd fit in well in our household my husband and i we talk about we go on tangents all the time and then we have to go okay what were we originally talking about so you'd fit in perfectly <laughs> oh that's wonderful to hear. um <laughs> look, we'll move on to one of your former clubs melbourne city um where you did end your league women's career holly mcnamara maria has made their return this weekend and boy did they look better for it obviously they didn't look bad without them, but having two players of that quality come back, it was yeah. really telling a uh, 4-0 win over Newcastle Jets who do have their own issues, which we'll get into later. But Melbourne City, this is the perfect time to be bringing back Maria Rojas. Obviously, she'd had that period where they needed to wait for Ekic's loan to finish and then obviously have her return from international duty as well. So it was a bit of a mix up there. And considering how she started the season, it was a bit of a loss when she did leave. That probably didn't look as threatening going forward, although... Melbourne City, we all know how good they are. But um, having her and McNamara come back simultaneously, my word, they look good this weekend. Oh, look, it's it's great to see both back. Rojas, she just offers this spark in the front line that they have been missing. Wilkinson's great, but she's an old-fashioned striker and she needs someone around her just to take a little bit of the attention away and someone who's just there to, you know, a true striker. So they're just there to finish them. And that's what Rojas did. And if you look how Holly McDamara, when she came on, you know, she was able to draw the defender on the left-hand side of the box, put it across, um, and Rojas finished. So they linked up so well to get that to get that goal, to see Holly come back from a serious ACL injury. Um, I think she was about 54, week, uh, 54 weeks out of the competition, um it's it's great to see these girls come back in because as we know the physical toll of an acl is one thing it's the mental that's almost harder um she's obviously still got a bit of a bit of a way to go holly um i don't think she's quite got all her pace back yet um but that comes with time and with engagement in the game um but melbourne looked better for them those two girls coming back as you said they were just missing something and coming into this final where they, the final run where they can't afford to drop points. Um, 
it's it's going to benefit them in the long run, I feel, with these two coming back in. It's interesting you mentioned Hannah Wilkinson, especially considering that's probably one person who definitely isn't afraid to get her head to a ball. Someone's um, <laughs> quite yeah. good in the air herself. But um, yeah, being that traditional striker, I do feel like she's a bit one-dimensional in how she plays and kind of missing those creative players like McNamara or yeah. another striker next to her, like Marie Rojas, who's probably a little bit more direct. She's able to pick up the ball, run, offers yeah. um, creative spark as well next to her. Having those two players back around her will probably make Wilkinson a better player for it as well because we saw last year with, obviously, Melbourne City still had a stacked side last year, but um, how they linked up together around her, they were able to bring the best out of Wilkinson, and that's probably something we haven't seen yet this year. I don't think we've seen the best of Wilkinson. So having those two players come back, being able to create chances for her where she can kind of be that old-fashioned target player poacher and just be able to be there to simply finish off chances suddenly it's not like you're just bringing two players back. You're also getting a third up to where she's. Well, you're getting a front line now. That's what they've really been lacking. And as you said, Wilkinson needs service because she is an old-fashioned striker. One thing that, you know, the stats might say one thing, but I'm very questionable about some of the people who do stats and what they consider a cross and what (laughs) they consider a pass. So, look, they haven't really, from watching all the games, and when I was over in Europe, I was waking up at ridiculous hours in the morning to watch watch various A-League W games. And the one thing they have lacked for, Hol- um, for not for Holly, uh, for Hannah, is those that service. So crossing of the ball, as you said, she can head a ball, but they don't focus on that. And that's actually something that comes from the Rado and Dario Vitisic uh, form of and style of play. Crossing is not a thing. So if you are a traditional winger where the expectation is to run the ball and cross, it's kind of frowned upon. Um, so that's why now with these two coming back in, they'll be able to link up with Hannah a lot more. And hopefully we're going to see more goals because realistically, she's had a very quiet season. Yes, she had an injury at the start, um, but I have expected more goals of her um, in this in this season with what with the caliber that's around her. Well, that's what I mean. You'd look at last season, she scored, I think it was what, 13 goals off the top of my head if you include the final series in 15 games. Obviously, she's probably not going to get to the same amount of games this season. She did have that injury at the start of the season, but um, the number actually escapes me how many goals she scored this season, but it definitely isn't more than two or three. So definitely yeah. a decrease in what, what her output. It's but, been quiet for her. Oh, 100%. It's definitely been quiet for her, and I think that kind of that form has actually translated into the New Zealand national team performances. I've seen a lot of discourse around her in that area. But having, like we said, having those players back, should be a massive boost for her. We're looking at the minor premiership run-in and then obviously the grand final run-in. Um, I don't know if there's going to be enough time for her, for them, or Melbourne City, I mean, to be able to push for a minor premiership. I think that race kind of is a two-horse race now between yeah. Sydney FC and Western United, especially with the recent decision, if that doesn't get overturned. Um, enough about that, of course. But if you're looking at maybe that grand final run, obviously Melbourne City haven't beaten Western United this season, but they haven't had the chance to do it with both, oh, not with both Rojas and McNamara on the field. They've had Rojas play one of those games from memory, but having those two back, does that change their chances in a final series at all? Um, from an attacking point, I feel like it does. Like they, I, I honestly believe as well that their race for the minor premiership isn't there. So they just need to focus on maintaining top four position, as you've seen with a lot of the grand final winners in the last decade. Um, they have come from that third and fourth spot predominantly. 
um, which I didn't know about until I did some research and I did my article during the week and I was like, well, hang on a second. Um, but the thing is, I for me, the, the biggest area of concern for Melbourne City is their defensive setup. Um, they do look, they do tend to leak goals. And I think at the moment, you know, check it. Obviously, it's taken, she's one of my dear friends. Um, she's taken a while to get back from injury. Um, you've got Naomi Chinema out. Um, I know Teo, he even said during the week, Melbourne City have as many players out as what they do have as a team at the moment. You know, they've lost Leah Davidson, who is pivotal. She's the workhorse in that midfield. Um, so, look, there's a lot of questions around how they're going to manage from a defensive point of view. But if you score enough goals, it doesn't matter how many that you leak, as long as you score more than you have scored against you. Well, three wins. Oh, that's a good point for a neutral. Um, it's, it's interesting <laughs> you talk about um, kind of the Leaking way they're linking goals. Sorry? No, you go. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned the point, the way they're linking leaking goals as well, because I actually thought on the weekend, and where this will actually help link into Newcastle, that's another team I do want to talk about. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you're sick of talking about him yet, but we're going to have that conversation. Um, I thought Newcastle, especially in the first maybe 20, 30 minutes, Newcastle created a fair amount of chances. If it went for Sally James, Newcastle probably could have been up by one or two in that early stages of the match before Melbourne City, of course, flexed their muscle, were able to push forward as Melbourne City do. But okay. considering the way Newcastle's been, they've only scored two goals under um, Gary Van Igmond since he's came in, and they're both in the one game too. The fact that they're conceding chances in a game like that, they're obviously going to be punished when they start playing the um, bigger sides like Sydney FC, like Western United. So, yeah, like you said, like obviously these players coming back is a good thing, but there's probably more to the conversation than just having a better attack because you've obviously got um, Chinema out, players yeah. still, um, the defensive line still kind of moving around a little bit. There's still a lot to consider. There's obviously the depth. I know Chelsea Blizzard hasn't had the game time she had last season, and she's yeah. obviously a good option at right back. Unfortunately, Caitlin Torpy. Um, having well, a, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, honestly. Hot, I don't know if this is a hot take. Caitlin Tolby is probably the most underrated player in the competition. She, look, she she's a quiet achiever and she plays like she is playing to her strengths. Um, and as you said, Chelsea Blissett, you know, she came back from that ACL as well. She hasn't as much game time, but it comes down to how Melbourne City plays. So they always play with overlapping wingbacks. So when you're coming up against teams who know that and they're, they're willing to, you know, to not change their formation then an attack obviously where the holes are well you've got to be flexible Melbourne City need to be able to have a different formation to adapt to certain situations so as you said when you come up against like Western United Sydney FC they're going to punish them like I think um, Cass Davis hit the post at one point um, and realistically the ball should have gone being cleared long before that but it the desperation wasn't there so those goals are going to come against the bigger teams. So then you've got the question of, okay, how do we fix these? And sometimes the answer isn't always just scoring more because well, at least <laughs> the last, well, last times I've played against them, that clearly hasn't worked that um, uh-uh. idea. So um, we'll, we'll move on to the team that we were um, mentioning in that Newcastle Jets. Obviously you had a little bit to say about the club and I'm not sure how many of you guys listening at home actually listened to Riley's whole thing and maybe you only just saw that picture on Instagram where she said they would have been better off putting out 11 puppies on the pitch look would have looked a lot would have looked very adorable um would have whether, 
Well, look, I remember I remember seeing Walkout. I actually loved that. That was a brilliant initiative. So full credit to Newcastle for doing that. They at least got one thing right that day. Um, once the football started, they didn't really get much more right. One thing I want to ask you about that, because obviously once that got published, once the A-League put that to kind of promote the podcast, a lot of players obviously didn't like it, um, to put it nicely. Um, oh, one, question I, okay. <laughs> one question I do have about that, though. Do you feel like the reason why it was kind of blown out the way it was is because it did come from the league's official source? It wasn't really, I won't say independent media, but an external media. External media? Um, look, I feel like there's a few reasons. One, that Australian football, in particular Australian female football, does not understand what punditry is the players don't understand and they don't have the education around what punditry is and punditry is an opinion it is good it is bad and it is really ugly sometimes I mean you've just got to look at Manchester United and Liverpool um, the other morning you've got Roy Keane who actually said that about the Manchester United cohort that if if he was one of them he would climb under a rock and hide for several months Now, I love Roy Keane purely because he says it how it is. So I can tell you, like, me saying what I did, that's tongue-in-cheek. And I think it was, one, one, the players don't understand what punditry is. Two, that it was, so when it was put out, it was just the one photo of one player and the comment rather than, you know, the full length to the, the actual breakdown um I think if it was done in a manner of more just like a field photo rather than singular player it may have been received differently um and look when a club is going through a dark time it's any sort of criticism whether it's tongue-in-cheek um or you know cute and fluffy it's never received well um so for me you know was I surprised with some of the outrage and this and the support, not at all. Um, I got asked by the Newcastle Herald, do I apologise for what I said? And my response is I stand by exactly what I said. So, you know, punditry is something that the players have to get used to, Um, whether they like it or not, it's here to stay. And this is actually the way the game is going to progress now. And they need to remember that Dubzone and the podcast, they're, what I say is not is not the standing of the brand. That's just opinion of that's only my opinion. It's not necessarily opinion of Dubzone. You know, you've got to look at all the people we have on that show, Nevo and Teo, um, Teo as well. We've all got di- different opinions, and that's the joy of punditry. It provides a topic of conversation because realistically, yes, it's great to be talked about, but do you know what's worse, being talked about or not being talked about. And this week the dub zone or, you know, the A-League W was for the first time all season spoken about all week long, regardless of whether the players thought it was ugly or not. (laughs) And look, whether it's um, praise or criticism, players, I know I've seen a lot of people, especially since even players in the women's space have said at the end of the day, if the game's going to grow, we've got to learn to take criticism, especially like this. Um, it, It sucks because, if you listen to that whole expert of yours, it was a very passionate piece about a club that you would hold quite dear to your heart as well. It's a club that you spent a lot of time at. So it's never anything personal. And the reality, the thing that probably upsets me the most about it is 
so much attention has been brought onto that one comment and it's deflected from the issue where what you were saying was correct. Newcastle as a football team or football club, even in the women's space, are severely underperforming and are quite subpar at the moment in a way as well. I mean, I look at some of the numbers, just not even from this season, in recent years, under Ash Wilson, there was 35 games, they won six. That's not a very good record. And I remember saying we did a mid-season review a few years, uh, a few years ago, a few weeks ago. And I said, this is probably one club where there's probably a question about who's coaching and should they be removed from their job. Newcastle have made that change, whether that was um, through their own choice or Grace uh, Ash, Ash Wilson stepping back. The point is that change was made. They didn't look externally. They just brought the person that was already overseeing the program down to coach the team. Um, the first few comments I saw was, oh, yeah, he's animated. That must mean he's better. That, there's been no change since. They, they, if they've arguably gotten worse, they've conceded 17 goals from memory in the in the five games that he's been in charge. And there was a clean sheet in there. So those four games were quite bad. You look at their last three games. They've lost all three games by at least four goals. You can't tell me that there isn't an issue there. And the fact that people have decided to go, no, we're not happy that this comment has been made, as much as on the surface, and if you single it out itself, it sounds harsh, it speaks to a much deeper issue. Oh, look, it's Newcastle's in a dark place at this point in time. And if people had watched my actual breakdown, for me, it's hard as uh, an ex-player. Because, yes, when I played with them, we did have some some dark times. There was a season where we got one point. But, you know, the clubs do go through moments. And for me, though, what's so hard to see is there's no resolve, like there's no problem solving around it. Um, it's a it's a bit of a basket case if, if we're going to be quite frank about it. And it comes down to everyone's like, oh, you know, how can you blame the players and when it's the club? And I'm like, okay, that's all well and good. But, you know, the players are one thing. The club's the next thing. They get the exact same startup finances as every other club does at the start of every season. And other clubs, one, recruit better. Two, they get... Um, larger internationals and that comes sometimes from your from your coach appointment so realistically why are we going you know why do we keep going for coaches who have not achieved anything at a local level in the women's game who have not been successful in their own right whether it's here or in Sydney or elsewhere I don't care whether the coach is male or female as long as they're able to provide us with something that's going to get this club moving forward because let's be honest we rely a lot on a lot of local talent but whether you know whether it's all the best talent in the area because the money's not there for female football so a lot of these girls you know they're working day jobs and they're training at the at night and in the afternoon um I look back my biggest gripe with it all is okay they get this money which is the same as the other clubs and then you can top more onto it NPL clubs in Newcastle for, say, the men, they their overall budget for player payments is bigger than what the women's Jets have, and they get that purely through sponsorship. So my question is that those that are running the club for the Jets, what are they doing to source additional money? So if NPL clubs can go out there and they can make all this money purely for payments of players alone because we know, you know, 
a lot of players are getting paid over the like the $1,000 a game locally, plus you add on all their bonuses. Um, why are they not going and doing the same thing as what an NPL club has learned how to do so simply? So yes. it baffles me, but it just shows the lack of investment that they want to do in the women's game here. And I feel for the players in that regard, and I feel for the fans. Man, look, I, it all you need to do is watch one. Ailey women's match of Newcastle Jets. I remember even just their game on the weekend, you look at the state that they left the pitch in. It wasn't very good. It was um, almost just as brown as it was green. So the fact that they're willing to go, yep, this is acceptable for an Ailey women's match probably says a lot about how the club is viewing the women's program at the moment. You could also say, like you said, the questions around player recruitment probably does look a bit unambitious. And the fact that they're relying a lot on local talent, but they've also let the probably the best graduate they've had out of their program in Kirsty Fenton go to yeah. a rival that probably says a lot about what's going on behind the scenes of the club so the more that people focus on okay we're not happy with this criticism it's just the longer they focus on that and deflect away from the problems that are going on at the club the longer that they're going to be stuck in this kind of loop where things are just never going to get better and that's actually a question i'd pose to you if you're in the hot seat in newcastle is there any kind of formal suggestion that you'd be able to put forward like if you're in that position how do you see this club improving oh look you need to source a decent coach you need a coach that's got decent experience and you know there's no I'm not saying that Gary Venegmont doesn't have decent experience he he does but you know when you've come in and out of Newcastle for so long why do we keep going back to bits and pieces that are not successful for me I would actually go and look at either an assistant coach who is linked up in um, the A-League W at this point in time who has been with successful clubs or they've been in NPL clubs. There is one and, like, everyone's like, oh, it's because you were connected with the club. Um, no. Well, I know him because he I was connected with the club. So Alex Smith, who is currently the assistant coach at Melbourne City, he is a coach, an assistant coach who I have a large amount of respect for and he has a lot of respect for females as well in my experience. He also knows the landscape of female footballers here in New South Wales, Victoria, and in Queensland. He would be a great prospect, you know. So he's someone that I foresaw taking over for Rado, um, but he wasn't assistant coaching. He was still up in um, NPL Queensland at the time. So, look, there are so many coaches that they could potentially look at, but you need someone who's got connections, and then you need someone who's willing to pull a couple of players who are going to pull additional players. You need to look, you look at the likes of Melbourne City, they pulled Fishlock and then Fishlock pulled Kim Little because they're good friends. And then you start you start pulling players left, right and centre that way. But Newcastle haven't done that for a very long time. They haven't been able to pick a player that's going to pull them from all over the place and who wants to play for them. Yes, we have marketable beaches and lifestyle and coffee, but we need to offer more than that. We need to offer the ability to win and championships and some professionalism around, you know, training isn't at nighttime and in the afternoon. Training is early in the morning. You know, that way they can have the lifestyle of a professional footballer or a part-time job if they really want to. You need your recovery and your gym all in one spot. It's actually not that hard, but it's, you've got to put in the hard yards of setting it all up before you start making promises that aren't necessarily kept. Well, there's still a comment from you. Maybe they'd be better off having the puppies run the club. Um, 
I love that. <laughs> one um one coach that actually probably would have been a perfect candidate for what you're saying is Emily Husband. Um, such oh. a son that's grown, oh not grown, um, broken recently. She's now going to be the inaugural, not inaugural coach. Um, the first coach for Mariners on their return to the A-League Women's. Obviously, they were there for a short period during the very, very early days. It's a conversation I want to have with you because, obviously, you finished up your time, your professional time playing top level in Australia just before these changes were made to the um, well, W League, as it was when you were playing. Now, obviously, rebranded to the A-League Women's. Um, three expansion clubs in the space of three years. The league grown, league's grown massively, just even in terms of games played. Since then, of course, um, Dub Zone's been introduced. What are your thoughts just on the direction that the league's going in? Look, I think it's great that we're adding new clubs. We're expanding the talent pool. But what you're seeing by doing that is obviously we're diluting the competition at the same time. You look at the average age that we have participating in um, the A-League W. And please excuse me, I sometimes still let W League slip because I was really... I was very much against us being called the A-League W. I was, for me, I saw it as us being dissolved into the men's competition. Um, I didn't understand why it needed to be, if you were going to do a rebrand, do a full rebrand of the two, not just dissolve us in and make us part of, you know, the men and chucking a W on the end. But moving on, um, for me, what I see right now is that the APL and FA have taken on, even though we had numerous discussions with them um, as part when I was part of um, the PFA. Um, we're very much moving into a development league, which is what we ultimately didn't want to see happen. This is my my opinion of what I see watching week in, week out. The competition is nowhere near as strong as what it, what it has been. Um, it's probably decreased, I would say, even in my final season, probably even my final two seasons, um, it was a lot it wasn't as competitive as what it as what it used to be like, um, but that comes with the fact that you've got the WSL and a lot of your overseas competitions are growing. So the Serie A, Serie B, um, their competitions run during our time as well. So they run in our summer, which is their winter. So we're losing a lot of players, and the money's now overseas as well, which means that a lot of our stronger players are going. Well, I'm going to go over there and just play one competition for the entire year rather than chopping and changing. Um, so we're, we're kind of at that, that crossroad of what we want our league to be, um, by adding in the Central Coast Mariners, I think it was the logical next step, um, based on the fact that they have previously been part of the competition. They have been building their academy as well um, and their team the last two seasons. Yes, they're in NPL two, um, but they have a lot of players that have either previous play, previously played W League. Uh, oh, there you go. Um, so they've got that experience and knowledge of the competition when it was at its pivotal. So, look, it is frustrating watching the league at times, um, looking at what it what it used to be like, what it felt like playing in it. But everything, when you add more, you will see a dip before you see a rise. That's interesting, actually, because obviously you played at a time where basically the entire first Matilda squad would have been playing in the A-League Women's or W League back then, of course. Um, it's, it's interesting because you look at what the A-League Women's can be and it's a question I'll probably post to you after I, f- I finish that this little tangent, but um, it'd be interesting to see if we are a professional environment, if we are able to introduce our professionalism to the A-League women's where they don't need to go and get part-time jobs outside of 
football and rack, which are able to play our, pay our players a livable wage or even more than that, something that they deserve. We have, we as a country, as, as Australia, have a very good standing in the women's game. So if we are able to offer that professional environment to players coming here, there is that chance that maybe, even if the WSL might be a bit out of reach, that we are still able to compete with those top leagues around the world even. Because mm-hmm. there was a stage where we were. We had some of the best players in the world playing just at suburban grounds randomly around Australia. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be great to see if we could get to that stage again. I don't mind there being that sense of kind of being a development league because, look, at the end of the day, we do need to produce players. We Europe do. is kind of, I guess, in the head, obviously going to be the end goal for a lot of footballers. But if we can still offer a very good league to spend your career in here or even a very good league for a big-name player to come over for a season or two instead of staying in Europe, like you said, we've got the lifestyle over here. Newcastle, as much as they're probably not the best-run club at the moment, living in Newcastle, I'm sure you can say yourself, it's a fantastic place to live. Very good yeah. lifestyle, nice. I won't say small town, obviously a little bit smaller than Sydney. but It's a, it's a rural city is what I like to call it. So. It's kind of that in between, yeah. But that's <laughs> what I mean. Like We have the opportunity here to be a very attractive league for players. So if we can introduce that, we obviously need to take steps to get there. But as it's probably a different sense to where the A-League men's kind of needs to be a development league because that's our standing in football. The A-League women's doesn't necessarily need to go that path go down that path it can be something much bigger yeah oh look it can be quite huge but it comes from the the managers of the clubs overall the ceos the ceos the coos it's them actually being willing to invest in the women's game and put them forward being it doesn't matter it doesn't matter which a-league club you go to it doesn't matter how amazing the female setup is it's still not without its significant glass ceilings and that's where things need to change, whether we need to see women coming into those positions to facilitate that change. But a lot of the time you've got to play the game with the men before you actually get into those positions of power, which is sad that it comes to that. Um, but, you know, we're in that straight of that, uh, blah, we're in that state of transition and, you know, we're starting, we're, we're broadening our pool to find potential Matildas. Um, and that's what we need to do to make sure that we're continually pushing into the top aspect of the world stage. Well, we'll go back to the Mariners and Emily Husband's appointment because that's a very, very shrewd piece of business. Um, for anyone that doesn't know who she is, uh, just recently named the MPL Women's New South Wales head coach of the season, uh, led Sydney Uni to a minor premiership in 2022. And the last time, correct me if I'm wrong as well, because I really do hope I've got this right. The last time a Sydney Uni coach went to a native women's club was Alex Apakis, who may not have had the best first season, but since then has done quite well with um, Perth yeah. Glory, especially considering the situation they were in last season. Um, oh, look, he's worked wonders with that team and he's uncovered some talent in there that weren't necessarily being given the opportunities at W League clubs or A League W. Um, so, you know, it's hard but to get used to, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, it's so hard. It's so, I have to keep biting my tongue sometimes to remind myself. But he's giving players the opportunity over there. So we're probably going to see the same with Emily Hubbard. And when we were chatting to her on the weekend, her focus is very much about unearthing that talent that is not getting the opportunity elsewhere. And she has a great background. You know, she's got success in, you know, the Sydney competition, which, as we know, it is a very strong competition. So... You know, it's it's very different from saying, you know, I've come from 
you know, Coffs Harbour and I was successful in the women's NPL up there. But, you know, she's got that. She's also got the background of playing over in Europe. Um, you know, she lives and breathes it. And that's quite evident in the fact that, you know, she's willing to look at these girls who are playing in NPL 2, linking up with Dan, who's based, who is coaching their team at the moment, and saying, okay, like, who's got who's got the makings of being in this team in in representing this community um, and making their way. So it's going to be great to see what she brings and whether she's going to model somewhat of what Western United have done in the way of they've used Calder um, United as more of a focal point, um, a place where they're unified almost all year round and really building coming into their first season. It's interesting you mentioned Western United because, of course, I guess anyone else following the NPL Victoria could maybe kind of see what, how Western United are going to do this season. Obviously, a lot of A-League women's players do step back into those local competitions in the off-season. And for Calder United, who probably weren't bringing many of those players from the A-League women's into their side, and they were still the top team in Victoria, beating the outsides like Heidelberg, um, South Melbourne, you could kind of see, I guess, the fact that they were going to be a force to be reckoned with in, in the A-League women's this season. I'm not sure if you saw it coming. Did you by any chance? I mean, I saw them as a bit of a dark horse because yeah. for me, what they have over, what they've got in their first season is very different to what a lot of other teams have come in with in their first season. What they did was a lot of their players have actually been train-ons at W League clubs for a very long time. So particularly City and Victory. So you've got players who have been in these setups for a long time who, you know, they're not, like they're trying to get, get a contract they're not being given those but they're constantly turning up so they're constantly training in these high performance environments high expectations so they've been around these settings and expectations for probably about three years now so essentially they've had three years worth of training before they've even come into this w like this first team and it's to their credit like they've done it i feel like they've gone about it the right way they've shown loyalty to players who have you know stayed and stuck with the club and then, obviously, they've done very well with the internationals that they've brought in. They brought Chloe in for a while on loan as well. Um, so, for me, they they actually thought about it before they just threw a team together into the league. Yeah, and it's the fact that they were playing together for so long with Calder United as well, they were able to get used to each other. And then you're adding those quality players like Hannah Keane, Chloe Lagarde, uh, Jess McDonald, even if the latter two were only for a short amount of time. It, it, it's it's great to see how well they did. And you could kind of see it coming, I guess, even if it was maybe in that dark horse state. I'm sure a lot of people weren't expecting them to be the top team for so long in the league. But yeah, I guess there was those makings there where you could kind of see that they were building something special. The Mariners now, if they're going to model kind of based on what they're doing there, I guess you've also got the culture of the club if you look at how they monitor their men's programs. It is very youth-based. They do look um, to bring people up through those youth teams. And they're going to be one of only two youth teams or one of two A-League women's clubs in New South Wales that do have that youth program through the MPLs. So there is something special there being built. There, There's a lot of potential for them to suddenly be like they are with the A-League men's where they're going to, they're able to bring up players from Sydney because they're so close and go, hey, look, if you're not getting any runs at the Sydney clubs, then especially considering none of the city clubs have an A-League women's academy program, they're going to be able to get some very, very good talent to come through their youth teams, hopefully. And so having someone like Emily Husband, who, like you said, understands the players in the area and probably has broader knowledge of players around the country, there's potential for them to be something just as special, even if 
they maybe don't have the same initial success that Western United has. That was obviously a little bit unprecedented, but there's no reason why from the get-go they can't show that, okay, this is us, this is what our club's going to be about and get results at the same time. Exactly. And the one thing Emily also has over a lot of coaches in our competition right now is because of her where she comes from, so over in Europe, in particular the UK, she has she's going to have the connections to potentially pull some decent European talent, which in its own way, as we're talking about forming connections and being able to draw players, that's what she's going to be able to do. So it's it could be it it has the makings to be fair, like Central Coast with under Emily Husband has the has the makings to be very competitive in their first season. And look, it almost looks like a match made in heaven. If it works out, it's just another fantastic addition for the league. And hopefully they are able to go to another strength and hopefully it takes the league to another level as well because it's not, like you said, it's not just about building a good youth program, but if she's got that connection overseas, we could be raising the profile of the league altogether, which is something that we should really be pushing for. Um, In terms of... Oh, sorry. No, no, I said we want professionalism and we want to be recognised, so it's the right way to go about it. Oh, 100%. And it's hopefully something that shouldn't be too far off and hopefully come sooner rather than later. Um, in terms of the early women's um, space, that is all we have time for. But <laughs> we do have Riley Dobson on. It would be rude of me not to at least ask you a few questions about your career. Um, and look, obviously, uh, your final game in the A-League women's was a very, very touching moment for a lot of people. And one that probably stands out in the history of the A-League women's um, is one of its more iconic moments. Um, obviously, your engagement to your partner. And now husband, I believe. I heard uh, you yes. correctly before. Yeah, we got married in December. Oh, congratulations. I actually got engaged in December. So I'm ah, kind of congratulations. <laughs> Thank nice. you. Bit of um self-promotion there. Probably um <laughs> I love it. Mrs. doesn't mind that, but um not at all. <laughs> well, look, talking just about your time in the A-League women's. Obviously, you've now moved on in your time in your um professional football career into the punch space. Is there any part of you that does miss kind of being in that professional environment? Look, I would be lying if I said that every couple of days I don't think about the fact that I could very much still be playing. Um, And, you know, as everyone knows, I didn't retire because of injury or age or anything like that. Um, I retired for Matt and our life together because, you know, it's bigger than football. Um, So, no, there's not, yeah, every couple of days I do think about it, but then, I think about, well, what more can I, you know, what else can I offer the game? Um, How else can I make it grow? Um, So I always remind myself that I can always contribute in some way. Um, You know, last year I still played in the local competition and the year before that I did as well, or once my um, season had just finished with City. Um, Yeah, so I I still love the game, um, but, yeah, it's just people are like, oh, we come out of retirement and I don't, I feel like if you retire, you you don't come back. Like it's not it's not fair, and I don't think I could top my retirement. That's for sure. <laughs> it probably ended on the biggest high anyone could have ever asked for. And look, as much as everyone would love to be a professional footballer, there are like you said, there's plenty of things bigger in life than football. And your partner, the person you love, would 100% be very well in that category. So 100% full respect for that decision. And as, much as it was a brave call, I'm sure it's not one that you'll ever regret as well. No. So, um, talking about your time in the A League Women's as well, 
um, and your time Melbourne City in particular, you did work under a certain Patrick Kisnorbo. Yeah. Who has gone on to, obviously, well, he's gone on to better things in France, maybe not doing the best at, as what he could be, what we saw in Australia. But um, look, did you, obviously, you've probably um, followed his career since he left yeah. Melbourne City's women's team. Did he change his style at all going into the men's program or was what we saw with him with the men's same as what he was like with the women's? What you see with the men is exactly the same as what you got with the women. Um, I know a lot of people, well, a lot of females, sometimes PK can put them offside. For me, I had a, so much respect for him. And that's because he is a, he was an old school player. You know, he played for Leeds. He played for Leicester. Um, he was one of those players, when you talk to some of his ex-teammates, he shut things down in the dressing room before they became a problem. And he's that type of coach as well. So I have a huge amount of respect from him. There were times where, you know, I swore at him. I cursed him. You know, I spat pool water in his face one day because we were doing a punishment session that I swear I almost drowned in. Um but what I have a lot of respect for with, with PK is that, you know, when you were doing preseason and you were absolutely dying and, you you know, you were probably walking because you just had nothing left in the tank when you were trying to do these runs, he would actually run beside you he'd, or he'd be walking beside you if that's what level you were at at that point in time. And he did not care whether you crawled over the finish line or anything as long as he, you know, you got there. He had a great amount of respect for you. So, look, he's having a hard time over in France. There's no denying that. But he's one of our first like coaches to get into that league. Well, he's the first Australian coach to get into that league. And I foresee that he's only going to grow from it. And he has a lot of potential to go elsewhere. Well, it does sound like, and from all accounts I've heard coming out of France, that they are looking at a long-term project with him. So hopefully he does get that opportunity to build a side that is probably exactly. more to his liking. It's probably what he needs. And... Look, yeah, it does always seem like that kind of guy was tough. That was probably more on the tough love side of things, but it's nice to know yeah. that he had the respect to you guys as well. Well, you girls as well, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, one last question. Um, you did mention, obviously, with Emma Checker as uh, someone that you've played alongside, a good friend of yours. Being a pundit and obviously being quite young as a pundit and a lot of the players that are in the A-League women's are players that you would have played alongside against, played against people that you do have quite strong relationships with. Does that make your job any harder or is do even those players understand that line between personal and professional relationships? I feel some of them do understand it and others don't. I mean, I feel sometimes I probably, it is, look, I'll be honest, it is hard. Do I feel like sometimes I, like in some comments that I've had to make or coming forward for certain circumstances, like I did with the Devana situation as well last year, do I feel like I may have lost some peers? Yes, but that's when it comes down to then were they really a true friend in the first place if they don't understand where I'm coming from, particularly if I've spoken to them about it as well, um, like just, you know, over the years. Um and sometimes I go afterwards, have I been too harsh? But then I go, well, that's what they hear from me, you know, if we're living together, when we're having coffee before. So I was like, well, realistically, they shouldn't be surprised by me being me speaking as I do. Um, but, you know, I, I feel that criticism is part of the game and to make sure that football in Australia is professional, we need to move into the punditry space where it is exactly the same like this is what it's like in the rest of the world. So we've got to catch up. If we want to 
maintain maintain staying in our lane and becoming one of the best countries when it comes to football. Oh, 100%. Uh, one final question. Uh, you've had one cap for the Matildas. Um, obviously, your uh, final game was a moment that will live on long in the memory. You won titles at Melbourne City. What it was your favourite moment of your career? My favourite... Look, it, it still is, you know, yes, I had the proposal, which was beautiful in its own right and scoring in that game and everything. But my favourite moment is still my um, W League championship win with Melbourne City in my first year. Um, the emotional toll to get to that, like the fact that I upped and left, we'd just bought our new house, we'd just got our keys um, you know, I'd been let go by the Newcastle Jets at that point in time. A couple of months before, I'd been going to other um, clubs to try and get a spot there. But I'd obviously, the release had been left too late. Um, for me, honestly, the sweat, and there was a lot of tears, I can tell you that, um, and swearing and a lot of things that I gave up, even from a financial point of view, to get myself to that level and then win it and knowing that that was everything that I'd actually been asking from from Newcastle like I always be like I'd sit down whoever was the coach and I'd be like we like this is what we should be doing I'd be told well, we can't be here we've got to be here and for me like going to Melbourne City and finding a club that was aligned with my ridiculous mindset it for me it meant so much and then to be in that final and to win that 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 championship um for me that was my personal highlight overall it, it beat my you know my proposal is in its own little you know nothing that's can really a personal highlight that. that's not maybe yeah but from a football sense that was my absolute highlight man it's a great story of perseverance to get there as well um that is all for today hope you guys have enjoyed this episode of front page dub i am katie ajita joined by the lovely riley dobson uh you got any final comments you want to add uh look just get used to tongue-in-cheek from me you're only going to get honesty guys so just get with it <laughs> hey you know what look we'll take it we love it it's good to hear and it's what we need in the game that has been front page dub hope you've all enjoyed we'll be seeing you in a fortnight take care everyone thanks Cody.